Thanks so much for tuning into 7IM Church's podcast. We are so glad you are here. To connect with us, you can head over to 7imchurch.com slash connect, and we'd love to hear from you. We also post regularly on Facebook at 7IM Church, and we live stream all of our services Sunday morning at 10 a.m. on Facebook and YouTube. We believe that God is moving in our midst, and we are so humbled and excited to be a part. Thank you for listening to today's message. Good morning. Good. I came up, I grabbed this just so I could flex the new 7IM Church coffee mugs for all of y'all. But we ordered a ton. So if you want one, just let one of our serve team members know there's a box in the kitchen. We'll send you home with one or 20, however many you want. Uh, But they're pretty cool just saying. So uh, I'm so glad to see so many new faces in the room today. Y'all, we're talking about heaven. Come on. Somebody say amen. Amen. Because last week we went to hell and it was hell. We're just going to leave it at that. But uh, I'm so excited to be here. I spent this week down in Austin, Texas. And uh, what was supposed to be a two and a half day trip turned into a five, almost six day trip uh, because of the weather. But, uh, you know, I took my brother-in-law and sometimes... You didn't think that we'd get along like one of us is probably coming back dead. No, we made it through the week alive. Somebody praise the Lord. We didn't kill each other. And uh, I'm still married to his sister. So, amen. Uh, but, man, I, I, I spent some time with other pastors um, really all around the country, all around the world. And it was just such an amazing, encouraging time. And I didn't even plan on sharing this, but I wanted to share it with you because... We can see headlines, we can read news, we can even get on Facebook and see pastors that are talking about the American church. And about, I just want y'all to know that the church across the world is growing. That Jesus is moving, people are being healed, and he is calling his children back home. It's time we stop bashing the church and we start loving the church. And we believe that we are living in the best days. I truly believe the best is yet to come, and it was so encouraging to see all that God is doing. And believe it or not, here's how he's doing it. In small churches around the world. We don't need 500 people in a room to see God move. We can see God move right here, right now. So I just want you to pray and say, God, we're expectant for you to move. I'm ready to receive what you have for me. Just say that to him right now. I'm ready to receive what you have for me. Amen. There was a boy, he was walking on the beach flying his kite. And as the wind began to blow, the kite began to climb higher and higher into the sky. And at some point, the kite ascended so high that it was above the clouds. I mean, y'all, this is like a windy day in Kansas. Come on. That kite's just going and going and going. He was walking the beach and this old couple came up to him and the old man looked at the boy and he said, um, do you know if the kite's even there anymore? I don't see it. Where, where's it at? Aren't you just wasting your time down here? To the man's amazement, the young boy looked up to him and said, sir, although I can't see the kite, I can feel the tug of the kite in my hand. Therefore, if I can't see it, I still know that it's there. And what's so interesting is in Ecclesiastes 3.11, the Bible tells us that we too were created with that same tug. But it's a tug of our hearts for a place called heaven. 
The word of God says he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. So I want to ask you this morning, do you have a restlessness in your heart? Because I believe we all have this restlessness. For some, it's more than others. And I believe that the only way that we overcome this restlessness is when we realize that the rest we were created to have was rest with a man named Jesus. That we were created to be with him. We weren't just created to live on this earth, live our life as we want. There is so much more that God created us for. There's surveys that are out there, I'm telling y'all, and it's not just the church surveys. This is across every sphere, every denomination, every religion. The, the, the main overarching thing that a human heart wants to accomplish or do in their lifetime is to be a part of something bigger than themselves. Can I tell you this morning, there's one answer. There's one solution. We can try everything. But the answer and the reason that we have that longing in our heart is because we were created for the kingdom of heaven. And we can try everything. I've been there. I know what it's like. But at the end of the day, nothing will fulfill us or satisfy us like he can. In Colossians 3, 2, the Bible says, set your mind on things above or on heavenly things, not on earthly things. And what's interesting is when I look throughout the scripture, I see this question raised in Job 14. And if you know the story of Job, Job lived a, a life that was faithful to God, yet he loses everything. And at one point in his story, in his journey, he asks this question. If a man dies, shall he live again? And I believe it's not just a question that Job asked. I believe there were questions before Job, and there's questions to this day. Every time you go to a funeral, it's interesting. We find ourselves asking this same question. What is life if the only thing that's guaranteed is death? There's got to be something more. And I shared last week on the horrors of hell. And aren't y'all glad that that's not where we're called to spend the rest of our life? Aren't you glad that there's a man named Jesus that he went to hell? He conquered hell. He walked out holding the keys like, yo, let me just show you how pitiful and like sad the devil is. He couldn't even keep the keys to his own house. Jesus has the keys. He's going to tell us he owns it, but guess who has the keys? Jesus has the keys. The greatest news ever proclaimed on the face of the earth. He is alive. He is not here, for he is risen. The resurrection changes everything. Oh, pastor, it's not Easter. I don't know if we can talk. Y'all, I want to talk about the resurrection every single day. Because there was a point in my life where I was destined to spend eternity in hell. The consequence of my sin was death. The consequence was so heavy that I didn't know that I was lovable. I didn't know I could be redeemed. But then Jesus, while I was still a sinner, gave his life for me. And if he didn't come back from the dead, I'm telling y'all, none of this would matter. But because he did, and because he's alive, it changes everything. Now what's interesting is I want to jump into today's message and the question in this series you asked for it the overarching question is what happens after death and part one was the horrors of hell this morning we're jumping into part two the glory of heaven and i've spent so much time praying and just thinking i'm like lord give me the grace to do this justice 
So I'm just going to clear the air right now. If y'all walk away from here this morning and you say, man, that message was mediocre. Let me just tell you, my message does not compare in anything to the glory that truly is in heaven. I'm going to do my best to unpack for us God's word, but I believe that his word gives us just a glimpse of what heaven will be. And there's so much more that he wants us to see. But I need to pray, y'all. Can y'all pray with me? Come on, God, we thank you. Lord, we pray that as we open up your word, that it would not just fill this room and permeate the atmosphere, but it truly would penetrate our hearts. God, we showed up today expectant. We're not just here to check the box and sit in the seat and say we did the thing, church. We're here because we love you. We want more of you, so God, move in our midst. Lord, as we open up your word, as we unpack what this glory of heaven is that behold us in the future of our life, if we call upon the name of Jesus, God, I thank you that you have created a place for us and that we as your children receive the authority to walk into the kingdom of heaven at the end of our life. And Lord, I pray right now, if there's anyone listening under the sound of my voice in this room or online that does not yet know Jesus, that they would be introduced to the man with fire in his eyes, the man who loves them so much that he gave his life for them on a cross so they too could have a relationship with him beginning today and that their eternity would shift from a place called hell to the glory of heaven. We love you, Lord. It's in your precious and holy name, all of God's children sent. Amen. amen. And amen. The Apostle Paul said it this way, For no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart of man can imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For his Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. So I'm going to take on this task of trying to unpack the glory of heaven for us. We're in Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. If you've got your Bible or you've got the electronic device, that's a sad excuse for a Bible. Uh, you can pull that out too. But before we even talk about heaven, let me tell you how to get there. Because in John chapter 14, Jesus is telling his disciples that he's going to leave them and prepare a place for them. And, and this conversation comes up and then there's this man named Thomas. Y'all, I love Thomas. They call him, he's known as Doubting Thomas in some of the, the circles of theologians. And he's always kind of the one that's like, oh, I'm not really sure if that's the truth. Like, CNN said this, Fox News said this. I'm not sure which one I should believe. Like, this is kind of Thomas. So he asks the Lord, he says, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way to get there? And listen to the words of Jesus this morning. I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I just want y'all to know this morning that as we talk about the glory of heaven, Jesus is the only way. You know, our, our name, 7 I Am, we, we founded this name on the seven I Am statements that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John. And at the beginning, back in September, I walked through all of these statements. And one of the weeks when we talked about the I, I Am the Way, I said, the, the offer sounds exclusive, but it's also expansive. What do I mean? Jesus might be the only way, but the offer is open to anyone who's willing to walk through his door. And so I want you to hear that this morning. We're in Revelation chapter 21. This is John writes these words, and he's actually being given a vision. While he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos, the Spirit of God gives him this vision of the new heaven and new earth to come. And he writes these words in Revelation 21. It says, Then I saw 
a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. And death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I want to pause right there because isn't this interesting? Talking about the new heaven and the new earth. Do you all remember the words that Jesus claimed on the cross? When he took his last breath, it is finished. What was finished? Victory over the grave, victory over hell, victory over the consequence of your sin. Isn't it interesting that here we are at the end of all time, at the end of this earth that we know as earth and the heaven that we know as heaven right now, God is going to proclaim it is done. No more pain, no more suffering, no more tears. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. Man, isn't that beautiful? goes on to say, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, adult, adulterers, all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. We already went to hell. We don't need to go there again, but I'm just telling y'all, hell's a very real place, and it is not a place of joy. Let's focus on heaven, though, this morning. In order to talk about what heaven is, we've got to clarify what heaven is not. You know, in this survey, I received a lot of questions that were really interesting. They were real. And, and one of the reasons we made it anonymous is because I believe people were asking questions that if they had to put their name next to it, they might not feel comfortable asking. Because you've been seated in church your entire life and you don't know the answer, but you think you should know the answer. But you asked the question anyways. One of the questions that I got about heaven was this. Won't heaven be boring? And, and I thought about it. For a while because I'm like, well, this is kind of interesting. But then I started to begin to think about movies and, and how people, and especially in America, how we portray this idea of what heaven is. You know, and, and what's interesting is last week, what did we talk about? We talked about that the devil would like to convince us that hell does not exist, right? Well, if he can't convince you that hell doesn't exist, what's he gonna try and convince you next? That heaven will be boring. So let me tell you what heaven is not. Heaven is not some spiritual atmosphere where you're floating and hovering over the clouds and you're some naked being up there playing a harp all the days of your life. It's not heaven. All right, I hope you brought your steel toes on. I'm not trying to offend. I'm trying to preach the truth. As Chris told me, one of my, my days in prayer and devotion this week, he, he said, I kind of got offended. And I said, well, Chris, praise the, Lord, praise the Lord, because I'm here to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comforted. So, y'all ever go to a, a funeral? Or you ever have a, a loved one pass away? And the language used is, well, 
They gained their wings today. Praise the Lord. I got myself another guardian angel in heaven. Praise the Lord. I feel a tension, all right? Bear with me. But I'm here to preach truth. As comforting as those words may be in the moment, it's not the truth. At the beginning of time, God created a certain number of angels. There's a hierarchy to the amount of angels. Today, we're just touching just a glimpse of heaven. Later on this year, we're going to do an entire, I don't know, six to eight weeks study into heaven and hell. So come back if you want the full picture. But today, I'm just telling you, we don't become angels when we die. Sorry. Like, it's a cute Halloween costume for your kid, I guess. But they're never going to be one. <laughs> God actually has something greater. And somebody said, amen, my child's never going to be an angel. <laughs> but we get these thoughts in our mind uh, of what heaven is, and, and Hollywood tries to do things justice, and, and we end up using verbiage and phrases, and, and we end up like, y'all, I'm sorry, but your loved one is not watching down on you from heaven. Like, praise the Lord. <laughs> Like, that doesn't sound joyful to me. That sounds like torture if my loved ones are watching me make mistake after mistake after mistake. This is what heaven looks like to them. Michael, don't you get it? Ah! Like, that's not heaven. But it sounds so wonderful to say that, no, there's something so much greater for them. And what's interesting is the devil tries to convince us that heaven is boring because at some point in our American mind, we, we've thought this thought that God is a killjoy, that he's boring. Well, pastor, if I become a follower of Jesus, I can't touch the alcohol anymore, right? If I become a follower of Jesus, I can't hang out with those friends anymore. If I become a follower of Jesus, I can't do the fun things that Americans say are fun. So God's just this killjoy. He's boring. And so I guess heaven's like that and he's going to be boring. Let me speak to that lie from the enemy this morning. God is not a killjoy. He's the provider of all joy. Heaven is actually the very opposite of boredom. It's the absence of evil and the fullness of the presence of God. Amen. Come on, somebody. I've got a list that I'm going to throw up on the screen. I think. There it is. Come on, somebody. Take a picture. Write this down because I'm just going to breeze through these. Scripture references are there for you to study later on in the week. Remember, y'all, this is not it as a follower of Jesus. We don't show up to church, check the box, go home, and live our... Y'all, this is just a, a springboard of your relationship with Jesus through the rest of the week. But here's some of the reasons why heaven is not going to be boring. We will know one another, we will fully be loved, and we will be loved. Heaven will be a place of unimaginable beauty. Like, I don't know if y'all have ever been down these back roads in Kansas and ever looked out at the sunset and just said, man, God, you're amazing. This is beautiful. Tears in your eyes at the picture that God's painted in the sky does not compare. To the beauty of heaven. Y'all, there might be new colors, new sensations, new ideas. Like nothing compares to the unimaginable beauty of heaven. In heaven, we will see Jesus face to face. How can that be boring, y'all? In heaven, you will have new and perfect 
bodies. And unless you're Scott Tilly in the room, you said amen because your body ain't perfect yet. Come on, somebody. I see you taking those gym selfies, Scott, all right? We get you. But just know the body in heaven is going to be even better. You ain't going to have that freshman 15 that you never lost. Woo! Amen. Heaven will be peaceful community. And I put peaceful there because it's interesting that, especially in, in places like this, in rural America, we like our alone time. We like that we don't have the hustle and bustle of a city, but can I tell y'all something? Heaven is going to be a city, the new Jerusalem. We are going to be in community with other followers of Jesus, other worshipers. It is the very extinction of loneliness and isolation. Heaven is the absence of everything bad, painful, and evil, and it's the presence of everything good and holy. Will heaven be boring? Absolutely not. Whatever you can imagine right now, heaven to be, heaven is going to be The second question that comes up often and actually came up in this survey might not be worded this way, but I worded it this way. Why should I worry about heaven? Isn't the place I'm at right now my home? We are so focused on earthly things, accomplishing, accomplishing things here, adding accolades to our name, degrees, and this, that, and the other, that we've forgotten. At the end of the day, this is not the place we were created for. Jesus says in John 18, 36, my kingdom is not of this Philippians 3, 19 through 20, their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know about y'all, but I'm so thankful that this place is not my final resting place. I'm so thankful that this place is not my home. I love this country. I love this earth. I love the people of this earth. But I am so grateful that God has something so much greater in store for me. Because I called upon the name of Jesus. I want to just kind of paint a picture of what, what I mean here when I say we weren't created for home. And if you've spent any time on YouTube, you've probably seen some pastors do something similar to this. But I'm going to do my own attempt at this. Chris, can you help me out? You haven't got your steps in for today. So can you just start walking to the back of the room real quick? <laughs> what did they say? <laughs> hey, come on now. Don't cheat in the house of the Lord. <laughs> Dawson, can I get you to hop up here for me, man, real quick? I picked you because you're better looking than Chris, so. All right, so just hold that in. I don't know. The camera, if you're watching online, you can hear me, but you probably can't see me now, so sorry about that. I just want y'all to picture for a moment that where Chris is standing, that rope continues on for the rest of time and eternity, and where Dawson's standing, that rope continues on. But they only sell a 75-foot rope at Walmart, so this is the longest I can get. <laughs> Dawson is standing at the beginning of time. There really is no beginning, but God's existed. Jesus, Holy Spirit are there. Chris is standing at the end of time. There really was no end, but he's there. God's there. Holy Spirit, Jesus is there. And this is all of eternity. But if we look at this rope, um, can y'all see? From red line to red line marks the creation of Earth. So right here we've got Genesis. The very first creation of mankind, Adam, was created. God said, man, you can't do it alone. 
Adam woke up and saw somebody laying next to him. He said, whoa, man. And we got one of them. <laughs> Praise the Lord for women because, uh, man, we screw it all up on our own. So Genesis is here, and we keep going on all throughout human history. We've got Abraham, we've got Isaac, we've got Jacob, we've got all this time. We've got Jesus, he's here, and Jesus lived 33 years. Y'all, I'm just saying, Jesus defeated hell in 33 years. Most of y'all are over the age of 33, so what have you done? And uh, we're just, just going to keep going. And then this, this little red line, can y'all see that? All right, so I just want you to picture that's your lifetime. The, the day that your mother gave birth. She might have screamed in pain, but sometimes childbearing is painful. You lived, you made decisions, you cut people off in traffic, you cussed at the person that cut you off, you had kids, you raised kids, you watched them faithfully follow the Lord, you watched them turn away even though you raised them in the church and you're waiting for the day they're going to come back. Your spouse passes away, but you're still here. You've now got grandkids, you're still here. And at some point down the road, it's the end. The only thing guaranteed in life is death. And taxes. <laughs> you're not wrong. Lord, forgive our government for the tax that they bestow upon our children. <laughs> But isn't it interesting that what takes place inside this red line is what we get so fed up about? Like, if y'all know me, my wife can attest to this, I hate being late. But if I'm two minutes late somewhere, what does it matter? This is, this is my life. This is eternity. The end of our life, some of us are praying that Jesus will come back before we die, but we don't know the answer to that. And this red line is the end of this earth. Revelation 21, a new heaven and a new earth is created. And where do we spend the rest of eternity? Yet we get so fixated on what takes place here. This is our home. Are you sure? Because it looks pretty small in comparison to everything else that God has for me. Thank you, guys. You can move the rope on the ground. I think the Apostle Paul understood it best. Because as he's traveling and as, he, as he's preaching the gospel and he's proclaiming the good news of Jesus, there's other preachers that start beginning to rise and they're realizing that there's power in the name of Jesus and they're actually using this power to build a name for themselves and to make themselves money. And people are asking Paul, what are you going to do about what they're doing? What are you going to do about the church across the street that's doing things differently than you? And Paul makes one statement in Greek, tiskar plane. Tiskar plane. What does it matter? I'm not going to sit and argue with the small things right now because what does it matter in the grand scheme of eternity. I'm not going to get distracted. I'm going to shepherd the sheep that God has given me, that God has trusted me with, and I'm going to focus on the mission at hand. What's interesting, and I shared it on our devotional this morning, is that sometimes people give their life to Jesus and they begin to think that their mission now is going to church. Going to church is important, but that's not your mission. Tithing 
is important, but that's not our mission. What is our mission as followers of Jesus? Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to all creation. Why? Because this yellow line of eternity is what's important. That's what matters most. We might think it sounds good to say this place is our home, but I guarantee you at the end of your life, whether or not you're standing in heaven or you're being tormented in hell, you're going to wish that you understood this concept, that there was so much more to your life than what you're living now. I'm just saying I see a lot of people in this room that have generational wisdom even beyond my years. There's another generation that still needs your testimony, that still needs your story. If you're still breathing, God's still got a purpose for your life. So who are you telling your story to? Who are you talking to Jesus about? Because their eternity is at stake. I'm just saying, y'all, we've got children in many of the schools that do not know what a Bible is. I believe in missions. We support 10, 12 missionaries, but we've got a mission field right down the street. And if you've got legs under your body, if you've got a mouth that you can speak with, there are children that need to know about a Savior who loves them. And it's not just my job. It's our job. It's our mission. Eternity is at stake. This is not just what your timeline looks like. This is the timeline of every single person you interact with. That cashier, look at their name tag. Call them by name. I, I, I was in Texas and I made a pit stop in Waco. If any of y'all know what, where, what's in Waco, you know what I did. But I had to get my wife and my mother-in-law a little gift from this place called Magnolia. <laughs> like Chip and Joanna Gaines or something like that. I don't know. And uh, I went to check out at the one register and I, I called the, the cashier by name. And as I was walking away, my brother-in-law looked at me and he goes, how'd you know the name? <laughs> and I wanted to be like super holy and be like, the Lord told me, bro. <laughs> I just looked at her name tag. As simple as that. But that moment where I speak to her identity, hey, Jesus loves you. That can change somebody's life for their outcome in eternity. Tiscar plan. What does it matter in eternity? What are we doing with our life now that impacts people for the glory of God? We weren't created for this earth. Heaven is our home. This, this other question that I got quite a bit. And I've heard it for years, and especially in youth group, it's kind of interesting when you tell teenagers to go share the gospel with people, their response is usually this. Well, pastor, aren't most people going to heaven anyways? 71% of Americans believe in a place called heaven. The small font on that survey defines heaven as a place where people who have had left good who have led good lives are eternally rewarded. So I can tell you right now, less than 71% of Americans believe in the place called heaven that you can only enter in through the man named Jesus. Matthew 7, 13 through 14. I shared this scripture last week, but it's important we share it today. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, but only few find it. 
I talked last week about how we say, well, good people go to heaven. Since when were people inherently good, right? I'm not going to scream and cry like a baby again, but I never had to teach my son how to sin. He didn't wake up one morning and go, hey, crew, come here, man. We're going to learn how to sin today. Get ready. No. We, we weren't born inherently good. So let me say this. Good people don't go to heaven when they die. Forgiven people do. Well, aren't most people going there if they're forgiven? If they're saved, they're set apart by the blood of the Lamb. You know what's beautiful about that? When we say good people go to heaven, we're excluding a group of people. We're excluding the people that have messed up too many times to be qualified as good. We're excluding people like me, who've been divorced, strung out on drugs, tried to take their own life, addicted to alcohol and marijuana, addicted to pornography and all of these other things. I'm not good, but I'm forgiven. That's the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus doesn't say good, goodness qualifies you for an eternity in heaven. He says forgiveness does. And he said there's nobody too far gone for the redemptive work of Jesus Christ to work in their life. So I want to encourage you right now. If you're praying for a son or daughter to come back home to Jesus and you've watched them throw their life away, it's not too late. God is still working. There's redemption at work in their life. Love them the way Jesus would and watch as God brings them back home. If you're in this room this morning and somebody's lied to you under the authority of the church and said that your story's too messed up, that you're too broken, that you're too far gone, hear the words of Jesus this morning. I took your payment for you. Son, daughter, come to me. You're not too far gone. You're not too far broken. My blood has made you. I'm waiting Will you come home. Good people don't go to heaven when they die. Forgiven people do. I want to end with three conclusions about what heaven is that we find in, the, in Revelation 21. Man, I wish I had. Y'all good to stay here till like 3 o'clock this afternoon? We got time? I mean, if an NFL game was on, y'all wouldn't complain about it. <laughs> I'm going to let that just fester for a minute. <laughs> Three conclusions about heaven. Number one, God will establish a new heaven and new earth. John, in his vision that he received at the Isle of Patmos, said, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I said we're going to dive deeper into this, this idea and the theology of heaven and hell later on this year. And I don't want to create any more confusion for you. But I do want to clarify that if you die before the second coming of Jesus, the heaven that you enter in is not your final resting place. What does Revelation 21 say? The first earth and the first heaven will pass away. Your loved ones that have passed on from this earth already, they are in the place called heaven, but they are not yet in their final resting place. 
When the new city of Jerusalem comes, adorned as a bride for her husband, we will then enter into the new city, the new heaven, and the new earth. Isaiah 65, 17, Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. 2 Peter 3, 13, But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. There, there's a table that I found, and I mean, I wish I could unpack all of it today, but I don't want to for time's sake, all right? But it compares the creation story of Genesis to the creation story of the new heaven and the new earth. And it, it contrasts their differences, but it also compares where they're similar. And I just want you to know that heaven is actually going to be more of an earthy place than what you might be thinking. It's not just some spiritual atmosphere with, with orbs of souls floating in the sky. You will have a body. You will have a mind. You will have feelings and emotions. It will be a very real resting place for the rest of eternity. And I'm telling y'all, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be beautiful. But we don't like to try and explain it because our finite minds can't quite comprehend it. The second conclusion about he what heaven will be like is God will do away with all death, mourning, and pain. And somebody said amen. Revelation 21 verses 4 through 5. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. No more crying. No more sorrow. Death shall be no more. Neither will there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things. Like I'm just saying, y'all, I've cried a lot of tears in my life. I can't wait for the day that every tear is wiped away. I've experienced a lot of pain in my life. I can't wait for the day that pain is overcome. In heaven, there will be no more death, no more mourning, and no more pain. And the last conclusion, and probably my favorite, Revelation 21, verse 3. God, actually, I want, to, I want to take it back. Yeah, we'll start at verse 3. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as theirs. The last conclusion about what heaven will be like is that God will dwell with us. The way it was intended, the beginning of creation. As Adam and Eve lived in a garden, rivers flowed through this garden that gave life, trees abundant in this garden, the presence of God dwelling with his children. One curse. One sin separated us from that. Now I'm just so thankful that Jesus gave his life on a cross so the veil was torn. And we no longer have to go into the Holy of Holies, but we have Holy Spirit right now as our guide, as our comforter, as our shepherd. But we're still not yet in the fullness of the presence of God. 
One question, and I think it's kind of funny, but I'm going to end with this. To just shift another perspective real quick. Do my pets go to heaven? All right. That was my pastor hat, okay? So you're just talking to a man named Michael. Dogs go to heaven, cats go to hell. <laughs> all right, that, now, y'all see what I did there, all right? Got my pastor hat on. What does it matter? I'm just saying, y'all, I love animals. Dogs, not cats. I grew up with pets. But how little is our mindset if that's our priority? When we are so overcome with the fullness of the presence of God in eternity, the last thing on our mind is going to be, oh, where's Jimbo and Bob? Did they make it in? I preach to him every day. Where are they? We're going to be so overcome with his glory that all we can do is join with the angels and sing holy, holy, holy. To be on our knees in awe. I love the song I can only imagine. And Chris, I failed. I should have asked you to do that song today. What will it be like when we're standing in the very presence of Jesus? Will we even be able to open our eyes? Will his glory draw us to our knees that all we can do is cry out to him? Will we lay down and worship him? Will we stand? Will we lift our hands? Y'all, I'm just saying, when I stand up here and I worship and I'm lifting my hands and I'm praising God or I'm on my knees in prayer, none of that is going to compare to the glory that which will be revealed at the end of my life when I'm standing in the fullness of the presence of Jesus. There will be nothing greater, nothing more beautiful, and nothing else. But we got to be truthful this morning. Because there's only one way to experience that glory. That's to call upon the name of Jesus. I read this scripture earlier, but I want to end with this. The words of Jesus in John chapter 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except Whoa, 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 Pastor. Do I do I need to go confess to a priest? Do I have to get baptized? What, what do I have to do to make sure that I'm getting into heaven? The words of Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Religion didn't die on a cross. Catholicism didn't die. The Pope didn't die on a cross to save you. The word Methodist didn't die on a cross to save you. John Wesley didn't die on a cross to save you. Your grandmother didn't die on a cross to save you. Jesus did. I'm not asking if you've been a churchgoer this morning. 
Not even asking if you've given yourself a label Christian this morning. I'm asking you, have you called upon the name of Jesus? Invited him into every area of your life to truly be Lord of your life. To show you that he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. The Bible says if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, then we shall be saved. I'm not just talking about fire insurance for eternity, y'all. God wants a relationship with you right now. Because as beautiful and as wonderful as heaven seems at the end of our life, at the end of eternity, Jesus wants to start to give you just a glimpse of that reality right now. He wants to bring heaven down to earth right now in your life. He wants you to experience joy. He wants you to experience freedom from addiction. He wants you to experience joy in the face of suffering where pain should be adorned in that place in your heart. The question is, have you given your life to him, the fullness of your life, so he can have access to everything? I want to pray with us this morning as we close. Lord, I thank you. Man, I, I feel like I preached a message on heaven and didn't even get to talk much about it. Because there's so much more that you have in store for us, God. Lord, I thank you that you saw it so fit. That even at the time of creation, when the first sin entered the world, when man was faced with a hell problem, you came with a heavenly solution. And that your plan of redemption began. That Jesus, you stepped out of the glory the fullness of the presence of God and you came to this earth born of a virgin brought into this earth sinless and blameless oh the lamb that you were yet at the end of your life you gave your life on a cross you didn't know anything but I owed a debt we owed a debt in this room and Jesus you saw it fit that you'd pay a debt that you didn't owe because we owed a price that we could not pay. And that even while we were all still sinners, you gave your life for us. He said, I love you, son. I love you, daughter. You are not what you've done. You are not what's been said over you. You are not what's been done to you. You are my child. I give my life for you. And you entered Hades, hell, and the grave. You took the very thing that Satan thought he has, and that was the keys to his own house. And you stormed out victorious. And you said, come to me. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. So Jesus, we thank you. We come humbly before you this morning. And we ask that you would give us that new life. That as we await our time where the end of our life will come, and the only guarantee that's ever promised in our life of death will meet us in the face. Lord, we pray right now that you would make us ready for that appointment. And if there's anyone in this room 
That if you cannot say without a shadow of a doubt that you know that you know that you know that if you left this place and today was your last day on earth, that you would spend the rest of your life in eternity in the presence of the fullness of God. I want to ask you right now, will you give your life to Jesus? Will you submit everything to him? You don't have to clean up before you come to him. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And when you come to him, he will wash you in his blood, and he will cleanse you with his righteousness, forgiving all the sin in your life, and beginning the transforming work of sanctification at work in your life to restore and redeem you as his child, as his beloved. And at the end of your life, you will hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Would you give your life to him right now? Heavenly Father, I come before you and I repent. I lay my sin at your feet. I ask for your forgiveness. I recognize that I spent so much time living for me and living for this world that I forgot I was created for so much more. Lord, give me a fresh perspective of eternity. Allow me to look at this world through your lens of heavenly things, the eternity set before me. God, I give you every area of my life. Submit my life to you, and I declare that you are Lord of my life for the rest of my life. And thank you, Jesus, for giving me the promise that I, too, can dwell in the house of the Lord. It's in your holy and precious name, all of God's children said. Amen. Amen. Amen.